Today on The Matt Wall Show, we know that trans activists want to sacrifice children on the altar of their own self-affirmation, but today we'll see just how far-reaching and evil this agenda truly is. For one example, researchers in a new academic paper are arguing that trans-identified females should be given testosterone during pregnancy, even if it harms the child, because the trans person's feelings are more important. Also, whistleblowers come forward to expose the corruption in the Biden administration. Jason Aldean and his wife continue to stand firm in the face of insane backlash. A fast food chain threatens to fire employees who still wear masks. And a trans soldier makes a bid to become the Army's very own Dylan Mulvaney. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. We are days away from the Durban Accords, the greatest threat to the U.S. dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years. On August 22nd, BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, are expected to announce the launch of a new international super currency fully backed by gold or other commodities. This is part of their long-term plan to supplant the U.S. and the dollar as the cornerstone of the global financial system. Well, how can you protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout from this landmark announcement? Now is the time to diversify with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty, which is definitely right now. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? You can protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of happy customers. Text Walsh to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it'll be nice to have some gold to depend on as well. Again, text Walsh to 989898. A few weeks ago, I did a monologue on a couple of medical case reports that trans activists have been promoting all over social media. According to these case reports, if you inject men with a drug called Domperidone, then they can produce a substance that vaguely resembles breast milk, which they can then feed to their children. There were a lot of problems with these case reports. There was the contradictory data, the sample size in each case was only one person, the authors were trans activists themselves, the whole thing is incredibly disgusting, et cetera, et cetera. But the really disturbing thing was that neither of these case reports seemed concerned at all about what might happen to the infants who are forced to consume this gross, chemical-laced, milk-like discharge. Domperidone is banned in the United States by the FDA for all purposes. It's been shown to cause fatal cardiac arrhythmias in adult women. And multiple studies have shown that the drug is excreted in breast milk. But for some reason, the authors of these case reports, including physicians at Mount Sinai and UCLA, glossed over the many risks that this drug poses to children. And in recent weeks, it's become clear that these physicians are not alone you know, in, this, in, in, their, in having their priorities set this way. Many members of the medical community have made it clear that they have no problem with endangering the lives of children in the name of affirming transgenderism. For example, here's a recent interview that um, aired on Newsmax featuring two guests. One is a self-described gender justice, whatever that means, PhD named S.J. Miller. And then there's an actual physician named uh, Greg Marchand. And I want you to watch what happens when the gender justice PhD claims that it's totally normal for men to lactate and breastfeed. It's a fascinating exchange. Watch. What we know is that men, men are biological men are actually able to to breastfeed. We also know that men who take what? hormonal supplements, yeah, might Naturally? be able to. Yeah, there are studies that show that. Um, What's the, fact, where's that? Oh, I don't know where the study is, but you'll have to look it up. It is in the research, and I'm sure um, the doctor on the and uh, the call here can attest to that. Uh, doctor, I mean, is this, I mean, obviously we're probably talking about like one in a billion or is this something that actually happens like regularly in nature? As you said, it is quite rare, but it is possible for a man to naturally breastfeed, particularly men that have tumors, cancerous or benign tumors of the pituitary. Uh, breastfeeding or lactation is a common side effect. So as you said, a very, very rare event, but it can happen naturally. A tumor can form in the pituitary that'll have a otherwise a normal biological male and make them start to lactate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, anybody who has that symptom should seek medical attention right away. Yeah, that uh, best advice of the day right there, doctor. Yeah, this is, uh, by the way, I've had this exact conversation, not about male breastfeeding, well, that conversation too, but, but, uh, but the part where the gender justice person says, well, there are so many studies that show this. There are so many studies out there that prove I'm correct. Uh, what studies are those? Well, I don't know the studies exactly. I just know that they're out there somewhere. They're uh, floating on the breeze, the studies are. Very many times, that's exactly how it goes. And, and, and by the way, the other thing too is that, yes, it's true that men 
with, with severe medical conditions like cancer have been known uh, in rare cases to lactate. But here's the thing. Um, you, don't, you don't take those excretions that you are excreting because you have cancer and feed them to a baby. So is there any study that shows that a man can sustain a, a can healthily sustain an infant on the substance coming from his nipples? And the answer to that question is no. So the gender justice trans PhD SJ Miller tries to pass off the idea of men lactating as the most natural thing in the world, but he has no medical studies to back that up, you know, none that he can name. So flails a bit. He asks Greg for assistance, at which point Greg tells him that men lactating is actually a symptom of a, of a serious medical problem like cancer. Now, this whole thing is beyond parody. And the whole interview went on like this. The gender justice PhD just sits by as the real doctor repudiates everything he says. And this is not to pick on just one activist PhD, because again, this is happening everywhere, from Mount Sinai to US, UCLA and everywhere in between. Everyone knows what's going on here. Activists who support the idea of male lactation don't actually care about the life or well-being of the infant. What they're concerned with is promoting the fundamental tenet of the religion that is transgenderism, which is that nothing is more important than the affirmation of the trans person's feelings. So the only question that matters to them when it comes to male lactation is, uh, does does it make the trans identified male feel good to have this happening and to uh, and to be breastfeeding a child. Does it make him that's the only question that matters to them. You know, whether it's good for the child is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. What we know is that all other humans on earth, including and especially uh, their families and children, exist primarily to affirm them, the trans-identified individual. If children have to die or have their lives ruined to validate the delusions of mentally ill men, then so be it. They're a necessary sacrifice. That is their view. It used to be that trans activists and medical professionals would never say anything like this out loud. I mean, for a long time, deliberately hurting children was a red line in American politics and in American medicine. And even trans activists weren't dumb enough to cross that line. I mean, they were happy to worship indigenous people, quote unquote, including tribes that conducted human sacrifices on children like the Aztecs, but they would never come out and endorse those human sacrifices themselves. Or if they did, they would call it reproductive health care and hope that nobody asks any more questions. But we're now getting to a point where the drive to sacrifice children on the altar of affirmation isn't even being papered over with euphemisms anymore. They're not even bothering to do that. Now our supposed public health experts are coming right out and admitting what they've wanted to do all along, which is to harm and even kill children to make self-identified trans people feel better. A new report in the Substack Reality's Last Stand makes this very clear. You should definitely read this because what they found um, is hard to believe unless you see it with your own eyes. So here's the broad outlines of the story. A new paper is set to be released this year in the journal Qualitative Research in Health. And this is a peer-reviewed journal in the field of public health. The paper is called Medical Uncertainty and Reproduction of the Normal, Decision-Making Around Testosterone Therapy in Transgender Pregnancy. Now, these authors uh, include a bunch of social justice PhDs, such as Professor, Car- Professor Carla A. Pfeffer, she, her, of Michigan State University, as well as Professor Sally Hines of the University of Sheffield and several other academics in the field of sociology. None of them are doctors. Um, in this paper, the author suggests that the feelings of supposedly transgender individuals and their subjective mental states could potentially outweigh any considerations considering the health of the infant, infants. And they say this explicitly. Specifically, the authors acknowledge that taking testosterone while pregnant or breastfeeding might cause severe permanent damage to infants. But they say that you're not supposed to worry about that because many transgender people, quote unquote, also suffer from serious mental and physical problems, and we wouldn't want to stigmatize them. Here's a passage straight from the article, so I want you to understand how explicit this is, okay? This is not my interpretation of what they're saying. This is what they are saying. Quote, the logics guiding current medical advice around precautionary testosterone cessation in pregnancy involve potentially troubling assessments of the sorts of risks testosterone exposure in the prenatal and postpartum environments may pose for later child and adult development, namely potentially heightened likelihoods of autism, obesity, intersex conditions, being lesbian and or trans. In this way, precautionary practices of protecting the offspring of trans people become paradoxically a method of social control through safeguarding against reproduction of some of the very same characteristics 
held by some trans parents themselves. Now, I'll repeat that last part again. The quote. Precautionary practices of protecting the offspring of trans people become paradoxically a method of social control through safeguarding against reproduction of some of the very same characteristics held by some trans parents themselves. What these academics are saying is that if you want to protect infants from exposure to drugs that might cause permanent disabilities, then you're engaging in a form of social control. Now, if preventing babies from developing debilitating disorders is a form of social control, then it's a form of social control that any normal person would support. But the authors of this article aren't so sure because they aren't normal people. Why? Because they say that if you're, if you're thinking along these lines, then you are, quote, offspring focused, which is a bad thing. You are too fixated on the well-being of children instead of the well-being of transgenderism. I'm not making this up. This is what the authors say, word for word, quote, ultimately, we argue that in the context of lacking and uncertain medical evidence, HRT with testosterone during pregnancy and chest feeding, in a highly gendered treatment context, pregnancy and lactation care, both patients and providers tend to pursue precautionary, offspring-focused treatment approaches. Now, this is an incredible paragraph. For one thing, they're calling pregnancy a gendered treatment context, as if pregnancy has nothing whatsoever to do with biology. They're saying that, that transphobic bigots are trying to spread this crazy idea, you know, that only women can get pregnant and have babies. That's one of the things they're saying. Then they also go on uh, to say that the gender treatment context of pregnancy amounts to, quote, offspring-focused treatment, which to them is a bad thing. Imagine that. People are fretting over the health of young children instead of spending all their time affirming the delusions of self-identifying trans people. According to this paper of super serious academics, that is a precautionary offspring-focused approach. What is this? Among other things, this is yet another manifestation of the unholy alliance between transgenderism and the abortion movement. Only in a society that has already dehumanized the unborn could, uh, quote-unquote, fetal health be considered a secondary concern in pregnancy. Also, only in a culture where we have, where we have already set um, unborn child against the mother. And, and turn this into a competitive environment, you know, um, a zero-sum game where you have to choose to prioritize either the mother or the child. That, that's already happened because of abortion, and now uh, the trans activists are stepping into that gap. Only in a fundamentally deranged culture like this uh, could you find that they are prioritizing the feelings of adults over the health of children. But that's what these authors in this peer-reviewed journal are suggesting is a good idea. They don't leave any doubt about it. They surveyed a bunch of doctors, and here's what they found. Quote, in this context of medical ambiguity and uncertainty in the hypergendered context of pregnancy and lactation care, both healthcare providers and trans patients engaged in precautionary approaches that prioritize potential fetal and infant health and well-being and imaginaries concerning future of offspring's normative development over adult trans patient health and well-being in the present. In other words, these sociology professors are suggesting that the mental health of adults could, in some twisted version of reality, somehow outweigh the physical health of children. In other words, um, yeah, it's really bad for your child if you're taking synthetic hormones or you're taking testosterone because you want to pretend that you're a man while you're pregnant. It's very bad for your child physically. Yes, but it's bad for the trans-identified female mentally if she's not allowed to do that. If kids have to deal with excess testosterone in their breast milk or in the womb, which can cause precocious puberty and a host of other physical problems, then uh, so be it. Actually, it's even worse than I've already described, because go back to the first paragraph we mentioned one more time. The authors say that exposure to synthetic hormones in the womb, along with potentially causing a host of other disabilities, might also increase the likelihood that the child turns out trans. That's what they are saying. And they're implying that this is a benefit of a mother taking the hormones. That hormones in pregnancy are good because they perpetuate transgenderism. We are rapidly approaching the point where woke mothers will take hormones in pregnancy for the express purpose of trying to make their kids trans. You know, we thought designer babies were bad enough when the assumption was that parents would design their children to possess desirable traits like intelligence or athletic ability or whatever. But we forget that we live in a culture not only morally debased, but also insane. 
So designer baby will mean a baby with intentional design flaws. They will be designed to be broken. Now, as shocking as this is, we shouldn't be surprised by it. After all, it was just a few weeks ago that self-described LGBT demonstrators marched in the street announcing, we're coming for your children. NBC News and the rest of the media went out of its way to defend them for saying that. Shortly before that, corporate media downplayed the slaughter of men, women, and children at a Christian school in Tennessee. In fact, the Biden administration used that massacre to attack Christianity. We know that this is the actual context in which all this stuff is happening. And as you've heard by now, the Biden administration has also, of course, appointed a man, Richard Levine, a.k.a. Rachel Levine, to lead the HHS. In that capacity, Levine gives interviews like this one, this recent interview, in which he explains that children, you know, the real risk that children face is that they will undergo the, quote, wrong puberty. Listen. What would you say to folks who think that they're being reasonable by saying, why can't children just wait till they're 18? Adolescence is hard and puberty is hard. What if you're going through the wrong puberty? What if you inside feel that you are female, but now you're going through a male puberty? Well, because kids think they're going through the wrong puberty, Levine says, we need to sterilize them, chop off the body parts. That's the guidance from the leading public health official in the United States, who, who, by the way, is definitely not trying to rationalize his own poor life decisions. Not at all. What Levine didn't address is kids who, for whatever reason, think they have other defects with their body. I mean, what about kids who think that they have uh, the wrong liver or the wrong left kneecap? What if they have the wrong DNA? These and many other questions make sense if you're a delusional schizophrenic or someone laboring under some other serious mental health condition. There is something called body dysmorphic disorder we talked about before. If you walk into your doctor's office and demand that they cut off your arm because your arm isn't supposed to be there, uh, then they will diagnose you with body dysmorphic disorder. What they won't do at this point anyway is cut off your arm. They will try to get you help, mental health help, which is what you need. On the other hand, if you're a teenage girl and you want to have your breasts cut off because you say you're really a boy, then according to the fake admiral running HHS, your delusion should be affirmed. You're going through the wrong puberty. It's not hard to see how our medical, governmental, and media institutions have completely set their own credibility on fire in service to the trans agenda. And yet, it's still somehow shocking that one of our top health officials in the country would claim with a straight face that a child might accidentally go through the wrong puberty. Which is like saying someone has grown the wrong, grown to the wrong height, or they have the wrong middle finger on their left hand. It doesn't make any sense. The wrong puberty. I mean, really think about that. This isn't just an idea coming from some random, wacky, left-wing Twitter account. The top health officials in the nation are telling us that it's possible for a child to experience the wrong puberty. This has become the default position of the mainstream media as well in this country. Inside Edition, for example, just aired this sympathetic report about a young child, um, I should say, I was going to say a young child, rather a young child abuse victim from Indiana who's been injected with cross-sex hormones. They interviewed this uh, poor kid and his evil mother, and they broadcast it on national television, celebrating it. This is a wonderful thing. But I want you to listen to what this uh, young boy says. Listen. New laws passed in more than 20 states are making it difficult for trans people to navigate gender-affirming care. This includes the Nichols family, who call Indianapolis home. One day she came home and the teacher had told her that God made you a boy. And she crawled up in my lap and she said, how can I get God to change his mind? And just cried. So I went out and bought her dresses. 11-year-old Flower Nichols and her mom, Jenny Lynn, are among those scrambling from their home state of Indiana to a doctor at the University of Chicago so she can keep the puberty blocker she has been on for the last two years. This medicine is like the bridge between me saying that I'm trans and being trans. It's really hard to explain to an 11-year-old kid that Whereas we used to just, you know, pop to the hospital once every three months, but now we have to travel out of state. The family needed to find care outside of Indiana after Republican Governor Eric Holcomb signed a law in April banning transgender minors from accessing puberty blockers, hormone therapies, and surgical procedures. In June, a federal judge blocked parts of that law from taking effect July 1st. Without getting this medication, I will go through the wrong puberty therefore making permanent changes to me that I do not want. 
Let me just say, first of all, that if your son comes to you and says that God made a mistake, your son says he doesn't want to be a boy, you don't go out and buy him dresses, you beastly ghoul. What you do is you go out and you take him fishing. Okay, you go out and you play, uh, you play, uh, you, you br- grab the football, you go play catch. You go hit a baseball around. That's what you do. You, you help your son be comfortable in his own body, the only one he gets, and in his boyhood, which is all he gets. And it's a good thing. You say to your child, it, no, 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 you are a boy. And that's a wonderful thing. It is a great thing to be a boy. This is not coincidental parallel thinking, by the way, that you heard from the child there. He didn't come up with the wrong puberty idea on his own any more than he came up with this line about building a bridge between saying that he's trans and being trans. An idea that confirms that transgenderism is not a natural phenomenon, but rather a construct of the pharmaceutical companies, a theme that we have seen come up a few times in this segment. But the point is that this boy is very clearly regurgitating the ideas that have been fed to him. He has memorized a script. He has been brainwashed. The message of that clip is is as explicit as it possibly could be. They're saying that if you think that boy shouldn't be sterilized, then you believe in exclusion instead of inclusion. You're a negative force instead of a positive one. The governor's the bad guy because he's preventing this young boy from getting sterilized for life, they tell you. No sane person could watch that clip and agree with the framing of Inside Edition, which is why that clip has been scrubbed from Twitter. It was taken down for copyright reasons, presumably because trans activists realize how damning it is. Megan Brock, who uploaded it originally, says that Inside Edition apparently demanded that Twitter pull the footage off the internet. Megan Brock uploads footage of news clips all the time and says that this is the first time anything like this has ever happened. And she did send us a screenshot of an email she got from Twitter explaining that Inside Edition is the copyright owner. It needs to come down. Now, if they are proud of this and they're proud of this message and they feel like they can stand by it, then why would you want to take down, why would you want to take down the footage? The left passes around footage of me making my case against gender ideology all the time. And I never say pull it down. Far from it. Yes, share it, please. Well, they're panicking. This is panic. The producers in Inside Edition who put this video package together, they know they made a mistake. Like Levine and the professors who put together that deranged sociology paper, they said too much. They made the mistake of thinking that sane people would watch that clip and sympathize with the trans activists and with the mother. And they were wrong. The reality is that the goal of trans activists is now out in the open for everyone to see. There's no hiding it anymore. They want to satisfy the insane, perverse whims of deranged adults, no matter what happens to innocent children who have no say in the matter whatsoever. They're admitting this. They're admitting it. In academic papers and packages that air on mainstream media and televised interviews, copyright takedown requests are never going to cover this up, no matter how hard they try. This is a demonic movement that demands your total and unquestioning obedience to the cult of child sacrifice. They're now acknowledging all of this, not because it helps them politically, but because they want this power more than anything else, and they can't help themselves anymore. They know they're losing, and they're getting desperate. Their religion requires that you and your children submit to them. But increasingly, they're realizing that's never going to happen. And that's worth celebrating, that it's not going to happen, because the more activists reveal what they actually believe, the more normal, well-adjusted people recoil in total abject disgust. With every insane paper these activists publish and every unhinged interview they post on social media, they're losing more and more ground. The more they say, the more they lose. These are demons who believe that the mental health of trans people matters more than the health of children. They are the modern Aztecs. And like the Aztecs, they will lose. They'll be forgotten and maligned forever like the child-sacrificing barbarians they are. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, buying a new car can be a stressful experience for anybody, especially if you're a first-time buyer, if you have no credit. Uh, Before you walk into a dealership and spend the entire day with the crowds, the stress, the potential to not even find the right car, you need to check out CarZing. CarZing is completely changing the way you buy a car online. 
You buy uh, by partnering with, with credit agencies, lenders, and over 25,000 dealers nationwide. CarZing provides you with everything you need before stepping foot into a dealership. Once you find the right car at your ideal budget, all you got to do is bring your saved deal voucher with you to the dealership to finalize your next ride. It is so simple. Even if you're not in the market for a new car, you should check out CarZing anyway. CarZing's online window shopping experience goes beyond more uh, mere images. You can deep dive into each vehicle's specifications, its features, its performance capabilities, zoom in on the craftsmanship or of the interior, marvel at the cutting-edge technology, admire the meticulous attention to detail that sets these automobiles apart from the rest. CarZing helps make your experience faster, cheaper, and less stressful. Visit CarZing.com Walsh today and find the best deals near you. That's CarZing.com Walsh. We'll begin here with the Daily Wire report. One of the Internal Revenue Service whistleblowers from the Hunter Biden investigation said the Department of Justice and Delaware U.S. Attorney David Weiss are not being consistent in attempts to explain charging authorities in the matter. IRS Supervisory uh, Special Agent Gary, Gary Shapley, who testified alongside Special Agent Joseph Ziegler before the House Oversight Committee on Wednesday about the alleged mishandling of the probe into President Joe Biden's son, said he does not know what happened internally at the DOJ, but Shapley has stressed what he can say is that the story has been changing from the Department of Justice and U.S. Attorney Weiss, and uh, the only person that's really had any documents that have been corroborated are my own. Now, we may be jumping ahead a little bit. Uh, let's actually go back and listen to a little bit of Shapley's um, opening statement. He's, again, one of the whistleblowers coming out to talk about the corruption in the Biden administration, the way that the, uh, that the Hunter Biden investigation was handled, and here's a little bit of what he said just to get things started. Based on my experience, I'm here to tell you that the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office and Department of Justice handling the Hunter Biden tax investigation was very different from any other case in my 14 years at the IRS. At every stage, decisions were made that benefited the subject of this investigation. For example, prosecutors concealed contents of Hunter Biden's laptop from investigators. DOJ slow walk steps to include interviews, serving document requests, and executing search warrants. Warrants that were ready as early as April of 2020, but were delayed until after the November, November 2020 election and never pursued. Investigators were not allowed to follow up on WhatsApp messages from Hunter Biden's Apple iCloud backup, where he suggested he was sitting next to his father. Assistant United States Attorney Leslie Wolf cited the optics of executing a search warrant at President Biden's residence as a deciding factor for not allowing it, even though she agreed that probable cause existed. Prosecutors instructed investigators not to ask about the big guy or dad when conducting interviews. The Biden transition team was tipped off about interviews the night before the investigation went overt, a fact my FBI counterpart confirmed to this committee in a recent testimony, where the result was that only one witness spoke to investigators that day. These are just some of the examples of how our investigation was stymied. I'm not here to support partisan agendas on either side. I'm here because our tax system relies on the American people having confidence it is administered fairly and equally for everyone, regardless of your last name or political connections. Well, that's, uh, that, that ship sailed a long time ago. I don't know anybody. Does anyone have any confidence at all? That anything in government is administered fairly, uh, least of all the uh, the way that uh, you know uh, taxes are enforced and imposed. I, I don't think anyone has any confidence in that, um, and certainly not after this. So the, the corruption here is uh, it's it's worth listening to his entire testimony, including his entire opening statement, which was you know like ten minutes long. So we can't play the whole thing, but uh, the corruption here is self evident, very clear, um, out in the open. Like it would require to begin with um, government officials and an administration with uh, in, an unusual amount of integrity to handle an investigation of the president's son in a fair way. Um, it, it requires like actual above average amounts of integrity to do that. And uh, so is there any chance that the Biden administration handled it fairly? Of course not. They don't have above average amounts of integrity. They have none whatsoever to start with. So this was destined uh, to go exactly as it did. But, you know, I, I get a little, I, I think like probably a lot of you, I become sort of exhausted with uh, pointing to these examples of corruption and unfairness in the Biden administration with the Democrats and saying, look at this, look at that. It's horrible. It's bad. It's not right. It's unfair. 
Uh, I get tired of, of just saying that because we can all say that. We all know it. We all agree. Uh, anyone who's looking at this objectively agrees with that. So that's established. Um, the Biden administration is corrupt and incompetent. It's the most corrupt and incompetent administration in, in American history. Well established. What next? What are you going to do about it? What are Republicans going to do about it? They're holding a hearing right now, which is fine. It's good. Investigation, getting the information out there. I got nothing against the hearings. The problem, though, is with Republicans, if history is any guide, what we know is that they have the hearings and they have a lot of hearings and then nothing happens. And they'll hide behind the fact that, well, we can't do anything right now. We don't have we have we have we don't have the power to do anything right now. The Biden administration is still in the White House. Still, the, still the, the White House administration. So what are we going to do? Okay, the problem is, like, once you have power, we, we're coming up on a, on a presidential election. And so you, you, you have you got to make the case that we should give the power to you. So, so part of that is, what are you going to do with it once you have it? Um, Republicans had control of both houses of Congress and the White House, for two years, from 2016 to 2018. And, uh, and in part because of the corruption of, of Hillary Clinton. And in part because they made promises. We're going to lock her up. We're going to drain the swamp. We're going to get rid of all this government corruption. And then the American people said, okay, well, here you go. Here's the whole thing. And they did nothing. They did nothing. They didn't even try. Okay. There was no serious effort. The whole locker up stuff, there was no, there was never any effort. So we can't say that, well, they tried. Eh, they tried to lock her up. They tried to hold her accountable and they were stymied somehow. The deep state inter- interfered. I could believe that excuse if they tried, but they didn't even try. So that's all I care about. Um, what, are you, what are you actually going to do about it? And so far we've seen nothing, but... Um, I want to know what the plan is. All right, this is from Daily Wire. Country music star Jason Aldean's wife, Brittany, an outspoken opponent of the woke agenda permeating much of American society, fired back at critics of her husband's song, Try That in a Small Town, who called the lyrics racist. Aldean's song, released in May, was targeted uh, by people saying it was racist and pro-lynching. We talked about that yesterday. Um, she wrote on her Instagram story, media, it's the same song and dance. Twist everything you can to fit your repulsive narrative. How about instead of creating stories we focus on the real ones, such as child trafficking, food for thought. Um, and this is after Aldine defended himself. We played some of his statement yesterday. Um, so far, neither Jason Aldine nor his wife are backing down or apologizing. And I give him credit for that because usually the way these things go, you know, we're going on uh, like 48 hours now of Jason Aldine being accused of uh, being a pro-lynching racist by everyone in the media and uh, and on social media and the outrage mob coming after. So it's like 48 hours, if not more, of this. And what we find typically is that uh, people don't last even, you know, usually it's like two or three hours is kind of the maximum. And then we get the full-throated apology, the retraction, and everything else. That hasn't happened yet. I, I really hope it stays that way. Um, uh, it, it has to. And I think Jason Aldean and Brittany Aldean, I think they understand that, um, um, first of all, it's wrong to back down on your convictions to begin with, but also it, it doesn't do you any good. So you, you've been branded a racist who's in favor of lynching. And once they've said that, and they've said that to begin with, with it, it, there's no basis for it to begin with. So there's nothing you can say that's going to dissuade them or persuade them otherwise. There's nothing you can say that would make that, that make that make them go. Oh, you know what? Maybe they're not okay with lynching. Maybe that maybe the country song was not a call to round up black people and lynch them. There's nothing. There's nothing you could say that would make them respond that way because it was never based in fact to begin with. And I think the Aldeans uh, understand all of that. So I do have a fair amount of uh, faith that they're going to stick by their um, stick by their guns on this. And and uh, and I I certainly hope they do. Um, you know, one other note about this, and we talked about this plenty yesterday, so we don't need to rehash it. Um, but one of the one of the points that I've seen people make about the "Try That in a Small Town" song 
why it's racist. And uh, I've even seen, I don't know why I say even, like this is surprising, but I've even seen some conservatives on Twitter um, who, who are uh, conceding that the song is troubling. And one of the things that they find troubling about it is that allegedly, apparently, the, the building, you know, in the music video, uh, Jason Aldean is singing in front of us a, a building, some building in Tennessee. And that, that building was, they claim, the site of an actual lynching. And so, oh, it's, that's the messaging that he's sending. This is subliminal messages. He went to the site of an actual lynching and sang this song? As if, and I, and I didn't even look it up to see if it's true or not, because it's, it's irrelevant. Because if it is true, then it was, uh, what they're saying, it was 100 years ago, a century ago, allegedly, a lynching happened uh, outside this building. So, so they're supposed, so before you, you uh, shoot a music video, you're supposed to look at all the buildings there in the background and do a detailed uh, historical dive to find out if anything bad happened at any point anywhere in the vicinity of where you're doing the music video. Give me a break. As if they're supposed to know that, right? And all you got all these people on Twitter pretending that they, oh, well, that, that's the infamous site of the lynching of, uh, of 19-whatever. As if you already knew that. As if you saw the building and immediately, right? Oh, that was where that infamous lynching happened 103 years ago. Oh, shut up. You had no idea. One person went on Wikipedia or somewhere and found this. So we got him now. And then everybody else sees it and says, oh, yeah, well, I knew that. What, you didn't know that building was a lynching happened there? 103, everyone knows that. He must have known that. It's common knowledge. It's common knowledge now because you're all pretending. Um, and that's why. The, the whole thing is so flimsy and so ridiculous that uh, it's, just, it's based in absolute fantasy. The claims they're making about the song are. And um, so the only thing that we should get from the Aldeans towards the outrage mob is utter contempt. If anything, if I have any note, you know, for them on their reaction so far, and again, it's been good, but if anything, like uh, turn up the contempt a little bit more um, because th- these people deserve it. They, they desperately deserve it. All right. What else we got? A couple other things before we get to the comment section. This is from The Guardian. In-N-Out Burger, the popular fast food chain, has told employees in five states that they'll no longer be allowed to wear medical masks at work and could lose their jobs if they refuse to comply unless they have a note from their doctor. According to a company memo leaked on Twitter, the guidance is being introduced to emphasize the importance of customer service and the ability to show our associates smiles and other facial features while considering the health and well-being of all individuals. It's set to go into effect on the 14th of August for workers in Texas, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, and Utah, unless they have a specific medical condition or health concern that requires them to wear a mask, along with a valid medical note. Employees who refuse to comply will be disciplined up to and including termination of employment. The policy does not apply in California and Oregon, where employers are prohibited from banning employee employees from masking. So in and out will potentially... And I sort of doubt they would actually do this, although I wish, I hope they do. Um, but in and out potentially is going to start firing their employees who still wear masks, which I think is great. It's exactly what you should do. And, and obviously all companies, especially in the service industry, should adopt the same policy. Ban their employees from wearing masks. Um, it is, among other things, terrible customer service to be covering your face when uh, interacting with, with your customers. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And you look ridiculous. And uh, so finally, we're seeing a little bit of sanity on this. My only problem is always with, with this sort of thing. When we see the sanity on face masking coming along three years after the fact, is that, um, you know, as always, the, these, these, these concerns were laughed at only a couple of years ago. You know, now in and out is saying, no, it's, it, it's, yeah, you might be paranoid about whatever virus you think you're going to get. And you think that the, the mask is doing something. You might be paranoid about that. But the customers need to see your face. They need to see your smiling face. That's an important thing in customer service. Like that is a priority. 
And so now we're hearing this, but many of us made this point all along. And of course, we were laughed at for that. That, and this was this was my primary argument with masking, even apart from is it effective, is it not, and all the rest of it. And that's an important facet. But for me, the most the the, the number one point was just like the just the, the the psychological effect of walking around and not seeing anyone's face. We should we are human beings. We should be able to see each other's faces out in public. And that matters. It really does. And at the time, if you said that, you were laughed out of the room. Not to mention getting banned on social media for saying it. Three years later, and here we are. Uh, another quick thing. Some people on Twitter are having fun with this. It's, a, it's an article from the leftist outlet uh, Jacobin. And I want you to listen to just the caption. We don't have to read the whole article. But here's just the caption they put on Twitter. Studying the writings of Edmund Burke, the father of modern conservatism, reveals something important, that right-wing intellectual thought is little more than a series of dressed-up defenses of conventional social relations and traditional hierarchies. <laughs> Look, the jig is up, fellas. They got us. They caught us. They finally realized. They, they, the, uh, the geniuses at the leftist outlet here they, they, they finally realize, oh, wait a minute, these people, they're trying to defend conventional social relations and traditional hierarchies. That's what they're up to. Um, what you find with this, it's, it's fun to make fun of this, and of course, because it's like, yeah, well, obviously that's what we're doing. That's why it's called conservatism. What do you think we're trying to conserve? There's nothing subliminal here. Pretty out in the open about it. Um, I saw someone write, and I don't remember who said this, that, uh, that what we see evidenced here is that on the, like, on the left, they have no theory of mind for anyone who's to the right of Obama. And I think that's exactly the right way of putting it. They just, they don't understand who we are and what our views are and why we hold those views. They don't understand what argument we're making. So it's, it's not even to the point of, not understanding the argument or not being able to uh, follow the argument. And that is too, but they don't even know what argument we're trying to make in the first place. They don't know what our position is. Um, that's one of the reasons why you see all the, and anytime there's a, an attempt to uh, frame conservatives, um, you know, dastardly white right wingers and some sort of fake uh, hate crime hoax, you know, as we, we get another one of those every, every single week. And they're always so obvious. They're always so obviously fake. Because the people that are coming up with these hoaxes, they don't, they're, they're trying to frame us for something, but they, they don't understand what our motivations are and what sort of things we would actually say and not say, and what kind of things we would do and not do. They don't know. They have no idea, which is an advantage that we have. In the culture war, a, a, a big advantage that we have is that they don't understand us. We are their enemy. They don't understand their enemy. And that is, a, that is a precarious position to be in. That is a vulnerable position to be in when you don't understand your enemy. And they don't. Finally, this video from Mitt Romney is uh, catching a lot of flack, lots of mockery. It's an important video. Let's, uh, let's watch it. Well, as you all know, today is National Hot Dog Day. And uh, perhaps you also know that hot dog is my favorite meat. I love hot dogs. Uh, I love them in buns. I love them outside of buns. I love them with baked beans. I just like hot dogs. It's the best, you know, best meat there is without question. So to all of you who, like me, are celebrating uh, National Hot Dog Day, uh, congratulations to you. And may there be many, many more hot dogs served in our wonderful land. Now, he's being mocked for this. Lots of people are saying that this is, like, of all the issues we're dealing with in America right now, all the many crises that we face, and we've got a prominent member of the Senate walking through the halls ranting about hot dogs. And that's, that's a little bit troubling. So I understand that. And uh, I'm also not a Mitt Romney fan. He hasn't said much recently that I agree with. But on this, I'm with him, and I'm going to defend him on this one. 
Because, uh, listen, I think the hot dog deserves the tribute. I really think that it does. I think that it's, um, even though it's ubiquitous, uh, it, it, it is underrated. It's a massively underrated food, the hot dog is. Uh, I, here's what I will say about the hot dog on this uh, National Hot Dog Day, or maybe it was yesterday that was, I don't know when that video, but whatever. It, hot dog week, let's call it. I'm expanding it to a week. It's not even, it's just like LGBT. In fact, I think it's the whole, this is Hot Dog Appreciation Month. Um and here's what I'm going to say about it. The hot dog is the most reliable and consistent food in existence. Um, you've never had a bad hot dog. It's, it's never happened. And you've never really had a great hot dog. It's, it, a hot dog is a hot dog. It doesn't matter where you, you, could, you could go to 7-Eleven at 3 in the morning. You could stop by the gas station and grab a hot dog for breakfast, as I used to do. There was a time in my life when I had a hot dog for breakfast. And um, the time of my life called, called being my, my being broke, being very broke. And so that's what I can afford. But you can go get a 99 cent hot dog at the gas station and it'll be, it is a hot dog. It's fine. And so I think that's what it is. It's not flashy, but it's a, it's a consistent, reliable food you can always depend on. You might not know what's in it. You don't know what it's made of. doesn't matter. But it's always there for you. And so I'm with, I'm with Mitt Romney on this. I, I join him in his salute of hot dogs. Let's get to the comment section. If you're a man, it's required that you grow a beard. Hey, we're the sweet baby gang. A few years ago, I sent in a portrait photo uh, to paint your life. And the process, quick and easy. I love their work so much, I decided to use them again. Now, as you all know, aliens are very real. I was able to capture a photo of me greeting aliens as they came to Earth. This really happened. I was able to easily send in this photo, and in about two weeks, this will be turned into the most beautiful, realistic oil painting. Oh, so we're actually doing this. It, I mean, the real story is they asked me what, what painting I want from Paint Your Life, and I said, I want, a, I want a painting of me meeting aliens. And I wasn't sure if they would really do it, but apparently they are, because it's in the copy. So I'm super excited about this. If you're looking for a unique gift idea, you also need to check out Paint Your Life. And I, I said I want it as big as possible I'm gonna because I'm going to bring it home. I'm not telling my wife any of this. Um, so, you know, this is this is my this is my next salvo. Uh, you know, we, we know what happened with Johnny the Walrus. Now I'm bringing home a giant painting of me greeting aliens. And we're going to put it right above the fireplace mantle. Anyway, they create hand-painted portraits that fit almost any budget and are great gift ideas for those you love. Upload photos to uh, create anything you imagine. Put yourself in a location you've always wanted to go to or add a lost loved one to a special occasion to create the portrait of your dreams. Maybe I can add a lost loved one to this picture of aliens. No, that's probably it's too far. You can choose the, uh, the artist, art medium, and they have great selection of quality frames as well. Their user-friendly platform lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. They'll get your professional hand-painted portrait in as little as two weeks. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, I know I'm going to love mine. They'll give you a full refund. Right now, Paint Your Life is offering uh, our listeners 20% off plus free shipping. Text MATT to 87204. That's MATT to 87204. Paint Your Life and celebrate the, the moments that matter most. Hey, first comment says, uh, and to think that just one year ago, I was completely on the far left. It's crazy. I'm so glad I started learning about the other side of the story and now I can proudly say I found my middle ground. We should all be aware of both sides to be able to have our own opinion, not just accept what we're fed on the internet. A year ago, I made a project for uh, universities speaking about cultural appropriation. The teacher graded me a 10 out of 10. I now completely disagree with what I wrote. This year, I made one about feminism and transgenderism. When I started my presentation, my peers were so mad, but there's just a few slides. They were actually super impressed and agreed with what I was showing them. I loved the movie, What is a Woman? So I recommended it at the end of my presentation. Not a 10 out of 10, but the grade was still pretty high. Uh, well, I love to hear about anyone who's uh, come to the come to the light. And to have that kind of transformation just in the, in the uh, span of a year is really impressive. Um, and I also have, uh, it takes a, it takes, some real intellectual and moral courage to be willing to admit that you might be not just wrong about something, but deeply wrong about essentially your entire worldview. And I, I think for many people, they're, they're not ever willing to admit that. Because once you start kind of toying with that idea, you find yourself sort of feels like uh, standing on the edge of a, of a precipice and, and you, you're going to fall in, you don't know what's going to happen. And it can be a very, it's a very overwhelming, uh, disconcerting uh, experience. So to be able to 
stand there and say, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I might actually be wrong. I'm willing to explore this. I think you get a lot of credit for that. Uh, Adam says, as a citizen of a small, deep South town for 45 years, I can tell you what he sings is absolutely true. It makes no difference what race you are. Uh, we simply don't put up with that crap. And then another one, I think Jan, rather, I should say. Jan or Juan, same difference. Uh, says, I live in a smallish city, 60,000, and I can vouch for this. The town I live in previously was 3,000. If you act like a violent moron, you might have a gun pointed at you. The low crime right here is directly related to the legal ownership of firearms. Many people open carry here, and it's not unusual to see guns on hips at the grocery store. I feel way safer here than any of the ridiculous Dem cities overrun with crime and BS. Had no clue who this Jason uh, musician was until I saw this. Now I'm subbed to his channel. This experience, as I said yesterday, I, before we moved to Nashville, I lived in a town of uh, a little bit less, uh, slightly fewer than 3,000. I think that qualifies as a small town. We had, um, I think we had one, I don't think we had a stoplight. We had one stop sign and we had uh, our, our downtown area was a gas station, a post office and uh, a bar uh, where people would still go you could, and smoke cigarettes inside, even though I think it wasn't legal, but I thought it was great. And I don't even smoke cigarettes. I just think that's, that's, that's the vibe a bar should have, in my opinion. I'm old-fashioned, as you know. Um, so that's the town that I lived in. And, uh, and, and everything in the Jason L.D. song rang true, rang true to me. You just don't see this kind of thing in those kind of towns. And it's also, it's also true, as you hear from many people that live in these kinds of towns. I mean, you, you go to the, if you go to the gas station, you go to the store, you, you can r- go into the store and leave the key in your car with your car running. And you'll, you know you'll come out. It'll still be there. I, I, don't, I still didn't do that, but you could do that. A lot of people did. It was not un- unusual to go into the gas station, walk by a car that's parked there, and it's on and it's running, and you know the person's inside. Um, you would never do that in a city. Move to Nashville. I would never do that in Nashville. You never see people doing it. Uh, Kevin says, I think you're doing the thing here that you usually pillory conservatives for doing. You're pretending that the Aldine song is great just because you support the message. I also support the message, but I won't pretend it's a good song. Now, I never said it was a great or even a good song. I never said that. I, I don't think I ever said that. I never pretended. I never said that I'm going to put it on my Spotify playlist and I'm going to be uh, singing along in the car because that's not true. I, I, I don't like that kind of country music to begin with, so I'm, maybe I'm not the right person to judge this, to judge the actual quality of the song. But my own taste is that yeah, I don't think it's a great song. That's my own taste. I don't think it's a, I, I, don't, I don't love the song. Um, it also bothers me that it doesn't rhyme. I think that uh, country music in particular you know, it's a, such a lyrical genre. You, you got to rhyme. You can't get away with not rhyming. But um, that's my own taste. So I, I don't think it's a, I don't personally like the song. It's not a song that I'm going to listen to. However, just because I don't personally like it doesn't mean, what, am I going to jump on the bandwagon and say that it's racist? Because just because I don't, I don't personally enjoy the song? No. I, I let, it's a true, I support the message. The message is correct. And uh, all the accusations being made about Jason Aldean are ridiculous. And I can say that no matter how I feel about the song. Finally, Mike says, Matt, on the trans topic, I've heard you claim many times that the idea of a man having a woman's brain doesn't make sense because there's no such thing as a woman's brain. But how is your argument any different from the feminists, from what feminists have been saying forever? Denying sex differences in the brain is a feminist talking point. Um, There are sex differences in the brain. But there's also no such thing as a man having a woman's brain. Okay, that, that's my position. And those position, those two points are not at all at odds with each other at all. You know, there are, there are differences. There are um, differences on average that you can find in the way that a man's brain typically functions, the way that a woman's brain typically functions. But that's not the definition of a, of a man brain. What's the definition of a man brain? The definition of a man brain is the brain that is inside a man's head. That's what a man brain is. So if you are a man, no matter what's going on in your brain, you have a man's brain because you are a man and it's your brain. That's it. That's the whole thing. So it's sort of like I could say, look at any other part of the body. Um, I could say that typically men have longer arms than women, right? That's We, we, we can say that. There are, there are um, on average, there are differences between Women arms and men arms. Men have typically have longer arms. They have more muscular arms, all the rest of it. However, if you come across a man who has unusually short arms, does that mean that he has woman arms? Now, you might accuse him of that to make fun of him, 
But does he literally have a woman's arm? As if he went to a, a woman and cut off her arms and, and put them on himself? No, they're, his, they're still a man's arms because he's a man, they're his arms. They're just shorter than average or weaker than average. So that can exist, that can exist. if you have averages and, and similarities. Uh, they're going to be things that are outliers. But if you are a man, all the parts of the body that you are born with, th- those are all a man's parts because you are a man and they're your parts. That's it. Okay, I think, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it other than that. It's pretty basic. If you want some positive news in the culture war, since uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, the left has lost their mind, making abortion their official sacrament. The pro-life efforts, which are more important now than ever, are booming. You heard that right. Despite the narrative, pro-lifers did not go away. They've only increased in number. As one of the largest pro-life organizations in the world, no one is in a better position than 40 Days for Life to end abortion in each state. In a post-Roe America, 40 Days for Life is changing hearts and minds in the most blue pro-abortion states. They've had a record number of locations since Roe was overturned, and they grew in both volunteers and locations. With about 1 million volunteers in 1,500 cities, they hold peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. You can help them fight the ongoing legal battles by protecting free speech for their volunteers by giving a tax-deductible gift of any amount at 40daysforlife.com. That's 40daysforlife.com. Also, despite the lackluster economy, the Daily Wire is thriving. Not only that, we are hiring. We're currently looking for a graphic designer to join our fast-growing creative department. As a graphic designer, you will collaborate with copywriters, creative directors, and other designers under the guidance of the executive creative director to uh, craft show assets and thumbnails for a variety of mediums. To excel in this role, you'll need uh, proficiency in Adobe Creative Cloud, experience creating engaging web graphics, keen attention to detail, and excellent communication and collaboration skills. The position is based in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're interested in joining our team, visit dailywire.com careers. That's dailywire.com careers. Also, really, if you haven't seen Michael Knowles' new series, Michael and Stop What You're Doing, once you finish this show, of course, and go watch the first long-form interview with Jacob Chansley since being released from jail. Uh, you may know him better as the QAnon shaman or the horn hat guy from January 6th. Check out this teaser. You were in um, solitary confinement for, for ten and a half months. Ten and a half months. That seems like torture. I experienced some miraculous things in solitary. I'm freaking out. I'm in a cell. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? And I had a Bible in my hand. I said, I need you to speak with me. So I, I closed my eyes. I opened the Bible. I point to a random verse. And the verse was, I am yours and you are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name, O Jacob. Oh yeah. What is a shaman? What is a woman? What really happened on January 6th? Find out in this trippy exclusive interview out right now. The Big Tech approved version of this episode is on YouTube, but be sure to catch the uncensored version exclusively on Twitter and Daily Wire Plus. Also, no, that's it, actually. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. If you want to feel reassured about our nation's future, about its safety and stability, and about the institution tasked with ensuring all of that, then this has not been a great week. Uh, we've not had a great week in a very long time in this country, but this one was especially abysmal. It began with the Pentagon declaring through its spokesman that uh, our military readiness depends intrinsically on abortion. As he explained, we must ensure that uh, female service members can kill their babies. Children must be sacrificed so that women can serve in the military, we're told. And we're assured that it's uh, very important that we have women serving in the military because of various reasons that are never outlined in any detail. Inclusivity, yada, yada, and so on. And then the next day, a National Guard recruitment video went viral featuring an overweight female extolling the virtues of inclusion. Listen. I was an active duty army brat, and uh, all I wanted to do growing up was be part of the military and serve my country and be part of something bigger. I waited until Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed, so I actually joined when I was 32. My MOS is 12 Alpha. I'm an engineer officer, and that means both the construction type of engineering, building things and making bridges. It also means combat engineering, which is building obstacles, destroying obstacles, demolitions, all of that fun stuff. When I became an officer, infantry and armor weren't open to females. And the combat side of engineering wasn't open until about 2016 or so. I was drawn to it just because I like the technical aspect and, again, like getting my hands dirty. And my teams have always been very welcoming. It's about what you know. It's about teamwork. It's about taking care of your soldiers. So really, as long as you show that you can build trust in your team and that you take care of your people, gender doesn't matter. Now, that video was reposted to Twitter by journalist uh, Jordan Satchel, and we, who, who also reports that the woman in the video, Nicole, 
is currently a program manager for the Minnesota National Guard Diversity and Inclusion Office, because of course the National Guard has a diversity and inclusion office. This is how we keep the country safe, by filling the military with obese women who spend their time lecturing on the importance of equity. It is interesting though to hear her declare that gender doesn't matter. It's interesting because it's obviously false. Gender is a physical reality, and uh, physical reality matters very much in a military context and every other context. But it's also interesting because it would come as news to the man in the next video as we continue the horror show. Uh, yesterday, another video went viral dealing with the military. This one of a trans-identified soldier who spends a lot of time thinking about his own gender. Um, his thoughts on the subject are confused and delusional and false, of course. But gender is his primary focus nonetheless. Watch. Hey, y'all. So today I'm going to make a video showing how I cope with gender dysphoria while in uniform. If you don't know, when you're an active duty soldier who is transitioning genders, you have to go by standards that align with your gender in CAC and Deers until that is changed. This means that because my gender is a male in CAC and Deers, I cannot present as a female in uniform. I have a few ways that I find help me cope with my gender dysphoria while on duty, and I'd like to share them. I'm going to be honest, they're not a lot, but they do help me. The first thing I do is wear clear nail polish. According to regulation, men are allowed to wear clear nail polish while on duty. When I'm in uniform, this makes me feel a bit more feminine because my hands feel pretty when my nails are painted. The second thing I do is wear feminine scents. There is no regulation for what scents you can and can't wear. Pretty self-explanatory this one. Smell feminine, feel feminine. I also like to put on a lip balm because, well, it's not a gloss or anything, unchapped lips are pretty. The last thing I like to do is put a smile on my face because there is nothing more beautiful than confidence. Yes, apparently only women smile, which is good news for me, I suppose. The bad news is that this guy is apparently angling to be the Army's very own Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, he's documenting his own days of girlhood, starting with his first day taking hormones, hormones which he stores in little gumball machines. Watch. Hey y'all, my name is Private Johnson. I'm a soldier of trans experience in the United States Army. Today is my first day of starting HRT, so without further ado, my friend got me these gumball machines to take my hormones with. And while I think they're a cute idea, they're really inconvenient, but it's still really cute, so I'm gonna use it for this video. This is spirolactone to block the male hormones. This is estradiol to deliver the female hormones. And there you have it, folks. 10 months waiting for this paperwork from the Army, and I am finally starting my journey. If you are interested in seeing how my body changes in the next few months, if you are interested in seeing the life of an active duty trans soldier, please like this video and follow for more. Your tax dollars hard at work filling gumball machines with estrogen pills for homosexual men in the military. This is, this is something that we should probably keep in mind, you know, when you hear people complain about all the money that we send to Ukraine. And I complain about that, too, and for good reason. I don't think we should spend a dime defending that foreign country. But remember that Ukraine is probably not even in the top 50 of the worst things that our government wastes our money on. That's just how bad the situation is. Two other points. First, if you're a man who likes to feel pretty, for one thing, you don't belong in the military. I mean, you remember the movie Full Metal Jacket. Um, and in that movie, the drill sergeant gives a famous speech about how Marines are meant to be ruthless killers. He says... The deadliest weapon in the world is a Marine and his rifle. Your rifle is only a tool. It is a, it is a hard heart that kills. If your killer instincts are not clean and strong, you will hesitate at the moment of truth. You will not kill. You will become dead Marines, and then you'll be in a world of because Marines are not allowed to die without permission. It's a great speech. And it shows how far we've fallen from, you know, the deadliest weapon in the world is a Marine and his rifle to, look, this nail polish makes me, my hands feel pretty. Now, granted, the trans dude is, is in the Army, not the Marines, but the point still stands, I think. But the greater point here is that if you're a, a man who likes to feel pretty, your desire to feel pretty does not make you a woman. It just makes you gay. You are an effeminate homosexual. You are not a woman. Okay? There may be a few surface-level similarities between those categories. They both like to wear nail polish, for example, but they are different categories, which is why women wear nail polish simply because they like how it looks. They don't need it to maintain their perception of themselves as women. Real women do not need to work hard every day to convince the world and themselves that they are women. A real woman doesn't do anything because it makes her feel like a woman. She doesn't, she doesn't need to conjure that sort of feeling about herself. Now, she might uh, do something because she wants to feel good or feel pretty or feel confident. But even, even if she feels not good or not pretty, she feels not good and not pretty as a woman. 
She feels like a not pretty, not good woman. Being a woman is never in question. If your womanhood is this precarious, uh, it's this thing that must be constantly maintained and affirmed and reinforced, then that's a very good indication that your womanhood doesn't exist. It is a mirage. Second, this is why Trump was right to ban trans people from the military. Most supporters of the ban argue that gender dysphoria is a mental illness and people with mental illnesses that make them confused about basic facts of reality should not be in the armed forces. And that's a good argument. You know, uh, that's also one of the arguments that I have made. But perhaps an even better argument is that, as we see in the video, these people are also intensely focused on themselves and their own self-affirmation. Gender ideology is a pathologically self-centered thing. Its, its adherents are utterly absorbed in themselves, their feelings their feelings about themselves, most of all, are their primary concern, which is utterly anathema to the unity and self-sacrifice that the military emphasizes or used to emphasize. And this is why wokeness in the military, it's not merely uh, annoying, okay? It's not just fodder for a, a Fox News segment. It undermines what the military is fundamentally supposed to be. And that's, and thus, you know, puts our nation in grave peril at the same time. That's what's at stake here. And that is why military wokeness is again today canceled. And I'll do it for this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you uh, tomorrow. Godspeed.